is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. My name is David Devonish and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside Church. And this morning I'm going to continue our series on the life of Elijah. Those of you who heard last time's message last week will recall that we looked at the scripture in the New Testament which refers to Elijah as a great man of prayer but also Elijah as human as we are. And today we're going to look at the story of what's called the contest on Carmel. And I'll explain that later. And we will be considering the theme of who will we serve and the power of prayer. And this refers to the challenge that Elijah gave to the people of Israel as to whether they would serve the idol Baal or Yahweh, who we know as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and demonstrates that Elijah, though human like we are, was able to pray very effectively. And so now, Haston and Parveen are going to read the scripture to us. This morning's reading is taken from 1 Kings chapter 18, The Contest on Mount Carmel. Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to the king Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. Once, when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put fifty prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming towards him. Obadiah recognised him at once and bowed low to the ground before him. Is it really you, my Lord Elijah? And he asked. Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah is here. Verses 16 to 45. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah would come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets of Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. 
Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophet of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood on their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call all the names of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God. But do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal. From morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or he is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or he is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder and followed their normal custom. They began cutting themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After he had done this, he said, do the same again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. 
immediately fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them, and Elijah took them down to the Cushun Valley and killed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to the servant, Go look towards the sea. The servant went out and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, Hurry to Ahab and tell him, Climb into your chariots and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Thank you, Pastor Nantavi, for reading that. Now the story here is that under the influence of Queen Jezebel, who came from a nation to the north of Israel, Ahab the king and the people of Israel were serving an idol called Baal, who was thought to be the fertility god, the god of rain and storms, and the god of lightning. And he was worshipped by the Canaanites who used to live in the land of Israel. And you remember last time that Elijah had said, except of my word, there won't be any more rain or dew in the land. There was, in other words, a drought. And it was now the third year of drought. And God suddenly instructs Elijah to leave Zarephath, which was in Phoenicia, the nation to the north of Israel, modern day Lebanon, where he was being looked after by a widow, and to go back to the land of Israel. Because God was now going to send rain. We might ask why? King Ahab and Israel hadn't repented. They hadn't turned to serve God. But Elijah was now being sent as a demonstration of God's grace. Previously, Elijah had brought the word of rebuke. But now he's going to bring the grace of God into the situation. God acts in both ways. He rebukes what's wrong, but he demonstrates grace so that people can repent. It's the goodness of God, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. And so now Elijah is bringing the word of God with its potential for blessing and fruitfulness. 
He returned so that the Lord would send rain. And we then meet a guy called Obadiah, another godly man who held a very high position in the land of Israel. He was responsible for all the land, palaces and livestock of King Ahab. Elijah confronted Ahab, whereas Obadiah worked within the system, he was a godly man, to preserve the other prophets of God by hiding them in a cave and feeding them during the drought. He did that though he was in charge of all Ahab's court. You see, as commentator put it, not every faithful believer is called to be an Elijah. Not in this sense. Many are called to the tricky work of remaining faithful in a faithless context, to the business of serving Elijah and Yahweh as master and serving Ahab as master. You see? Elijah was called to be bold in front of the, um, the king, whereas Obadiah was to be equally faithful, but had to almost hide within the system, not be too open about it, but in a way that the purposes of God could be worked out. And actually, that's my first teaching point, actually. I'm in the middle of the story, but I'm just bringing this teaching point out. Some of us are called to be Elijahs, speaking out publicly. Some are called to be Obadiahs, serving within the heart of an evil system, but maintaining a godly presence and godly standards in their own lives. And many of you may well be called to be like that. Obviously, we're all called to pray like Elijah. That's what the New Testament says. But we're not all called to that public denunciation of what is wrong. Many of us have to work within the system and be faithful to God there because of our work and our job. And so Elijah summons the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel in the north of Israel near the sea, where there's a spring of water still there today, which obviously from the story was still flowing despite the drought. Many streams will have dried up, but this one was still flowing. Carmel is a very fertile area. And so he summons them all and they agree to the contest. And because they believed that Baal was the God of lightning. And Elijah had said, the God who answers by fire, he's the true God. And so this story proceeds, full of irony and humour, despite the serious situation. The story is full of irony and humour, as much of the Bible has that in it. Many of the parables of Jesus were like that. And the prophets of Baal comically follow Elijah's orders. You know, he said, well, put Choose a bull, put it on the altar, and then pray to Baal to bring down fire upon it. And so they did, and nothing happened. And they carried on and carried on. And the Bible says they were hobbling around the altar. A strange sort of dance. And Elijah mocks them. He says, perhaps you're... God's gone away on a journey. 
Perhaps he's gone to the toilet. He's relieving himself. Imagine it. And they get more and more frenzied because nothing was happening. And there were 500 of them. And they shout louder and louder. They cut themselves to show their... Um, the, the, what the, to show them the earnestness of the way they think they're praying. And they do it all day. But no answer. By contrast, you know, of course Baal couldn't hear at all. But by contrast, our God doesn't hear through many words or greater shouting. Yes, sometimes we're desperate and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we do shout and call out to God. But God is not moved simply by volume and frenzied prayer. Jesus said this, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again, like the prophets of Baal here. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. And so, Elijah, I mean, he was determined here already. Ahab had accused him of being the troubler of Israel or the one who put a spell on Israel. Accusing the godly is one of Satan's weapons. A rebuke from the Lord leads us to repentance, but an accusation from Satan is designed to make us feel useless. By dissolving your energy into guilt, resist it. As Romans 8 verse 34 puts it, who will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus has died for us. And so he was, so Elijah, despite the accusation of the devil, that he was a troubler of Israel, it was all his fault that this drought had come, was able to be bold in his faith, courageous when he prayed. And so Elijah then powerfully and calmly prepared for his prayer for God to demonstrate who is the true God in Israel. He built an altar of 12 stones representing the whole of the people of God because the nation of Israel was 12 tribes. And he challenges the people, stop hobbling between two opinions. That's what the people who were watching, remember this was a big public event in front of, the Bible says, all Israel doesn't necessarily mean every man, woman and child, but a big crowd from all over Israel were there. And, and, as, and so he challenges them, stop hobbling about between two opinions. Baal was supposed to be the God of lightning, but he couldn't answer by fire. Elijah prayed calmly and clearly. That's what faith does. As I said earlier, God doesn't look on lots of noise. He looks on the prayer of faith. And he prayed calmly and clearly, having made the miracle more difficult by pouring water all over the sacrifice. And then fire came down from heaven. So who is the true God? And the people shouted, Yahweh is God. Sometimes people can mix worshipping idols and worship God. So they're committed to Christ, 
but they retain vestiges of old pagan practices in some parts of the world, or in the Western world, the materialistic idols of Western society, or even other occult things. But God hears simple prayer in faith. However, that wasn't the end of the story, because Elijah had said it's going to rain. But will rain arrive? Sky completely clear. Wonderful blue sky. Again, Elijah prays seven times. Although God doesn't necessarily just listen to volume, the Bible teaches us God responds to persistent faith in prayer. And so Elijah prayed seven times, each time sending a servant to the edge of the mountain to look over the sea and see whether there were any clouds. Went once, no clouds. Twice, no clouds. And so on. Imagine Elijah just prayed again. Then a small cloud appeared on the horizon. Just the size of a man's hand it looked from the mountain. That was all Elijah needed. There hadn't been clouds in the sky for so long. He knew now that his faith would be vindicated and he simply announced to Ahab, there's gonna be lots of rain. Enjoy a meal first, a good Eastern priority, and then get back to your palace. So what does this story teach to us? Well, my first point I've already covered. Some are called to be like Obadiah. Some are called to speak out boldly like Elijah. Secondly, pray simply, fervently in faith. Devote yourself to prayer, the Bible says. This is to be in response to the Word of God. In the Word of God primarily in the Bible, in Scripture, but also tested prophetic words. So primarily pray the promises of Scripture. Pray it over your town, over your nation. Christ's kingdom will be established through all, throughout the earth. The Bible teaches that. God promises it. But it comes about through our prayer and our witness. The gospel will go to every ethnic group. The Bible says that. The gospel of the kingdom, that's the ruling of Jesus, will go to every ethnic group, every people group. Then, it says, the end will come. If you're looking for the end times... That should be an incentive to missionary zeal rather than endless speculation about what different things mean. So, the word of God that's shared will bear fruit. As you sow the word of God, God promises there'll be fruit. Not everywhere. Some of the seed flow, uh, falls on barren ground, but there will be fruit. Pray for fruit. As you share the word of God, results. Despite persecution and opposition, the kingdom of God will grow throughout the world. 
like a tiny mustard seed into a big tree, or yeast being put into the dough until the whole thing is, is, has risen. Often it moves imperceptibly, secretly. We don't know. Jesus told a parable about that as well. Just, whether you, well, well, you just go about your ordinary daily work, you go to bed and you sleep and then you, and the seed grows. You don't make it grow. God gives the growth. But we pray and we trust God for it. Pray the promises of God regarding healing. Recognising though that the kingdom has not yet come in all its fullness, but we pray for demonstrations of the kingdom now and for that to grow and therefore for the sick to be healed and people to be set free from evil power. These promises are the most important for our prayers, but they're also specific promises. Maybe you've received through a prophetic word or just truths that are quickened to your own heart by the Holy Spirit. Or bring your needs to the Lord. The Bible says, as we quoted earlier, he knows what you need, so you just bring it to him. You ask, you knock, you seek, you keep going. Also, we're to intercede, it says, on, on behalf of the whole world. Groaning along with the rest of creation for Jesus to return and establish his kingdom. He says the whole of creation groans. We've seen during the pandemic, the whole of creation is groaning. We are, we're alongside people. We're praying for the kingdom of God to come in the midst of it. In the crisis of climate change, it's part of the groaning of the earth and also human wickedness. But Lord, we pray, oh God, come. Pray for the persecuted church. But also pray corporately as well as individually. If you look at the powerful prayer meetings in the book of Acts, they were people together. Corporate prayer, prayer in the, uh, as a church or as a small group is very, very important. Whether it's the two or three praying or the whole church coming together for prayer. Don't neglect it, please. This, I, I, last weekend, before I, I'm bringing this message, we had the Catalyst Festival and they had 48 hours of continuous prayer for different parts of the world, led by people from all over the world, from New Zealand, Central Asia, Middle East, all, people from all over leading it. And they were so powerful. I went into a few of the hours and they were powerful, really were. Because we're praying in the will of God and we're praying together and an hour passed in no time. So don't neglect praying together. Third point is stand against idolatry, particularly in the church. In this story, it's God's people. It's addressed to the people of God, the church today. And they have readopted the practices of the cultures around them and worship their idols. In those days, it was worshipping particular false gods. In Western culture, there are other idols which are just as deceitful. I'm going to name a few quickly. Relying on secular human cleverness rather than God moving. We can even do that as we organise the church. 
No, no, the church doesn't grow. We need to organise. The Bible teaches that. Moses had to learn that from his father-in-law. And the uh, apostles had to learn it in Acts chapter 6. But So organisation is important, but organisation on its own doesn't bring the growth. God and human cleverness certainly doesn't. Secondly, consumerism or materialism, which very easily penetrates the church and our own lives. The Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. That's money. Thirdly, another idol, celebrity culture, the curse of our age. And even Christians might run after the latest trend or the latest speaker, looking to leaders rather than finding God for themselves and in their local church. We've got to avoid this. We're not consumers listening to celebrities with the people of God working together for the kingdom of God. Then nationalism. The nation state has become an object of worship as it has before in history, like the Roman emperor was worshipped in New Testament times. It's obvious in countries where there's much persecution of, of, of believers. However, it's creeping into Western society with the increase of nationalism and it's linked with ethnic superiority, so-called, which, which there isn't any ethnic superiority, but people believe it sometimes, and racism. And then finally, sexual permissiveness. Now, often the church, sadly, puts that first. However, we need to be careful here. Our concern is that the church remains a community committed to the standards of God's word, God's word and living them out in practice. Our attitude to the world, to those that sin this way in the world, is grace leading to repentance and receiving forgiveness from Christ. So we show mercy and grace to those that fall into sin. That's what Jesus did. He mixed with those sort of people. However, the church like the nation here, must be demonstrating and living by godly standards to be fruitful. The problem is when the standards of the world infiltrate the church. And so that what's happening in the world becomes mirrored in the church and therefore we're serving an idol. Then finally, there was a sacrifice to save the people. Here, there was a sacrifice made of a bull on an altar. That, in the law, was the means of forgiveness for a whole nation, according to the law of Moses. Now, however, a greater sacrifice has been offered. Jesus willingly gave his life on the altar of the cross, not just for the sins of the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. Hallelujah. Always remain grateful for that. Don't move away from it. Remember it. That's what Jesus told us, to remember his death by breaking bread and taking wine. Uh, this is the greatest demonstration of the love, mercy and grace of God. God was acting here in grace in the story we've read, even though the people of Israel didn't deserve it at the time. God has acted in grace, undeserved love towards the whole world. Let's embrace it and live it out. So, in conclusion, what idols do you serve? Ask the Holy Spirit, are there any idols I'm serving? Am I just serving Yahweh? Or are there other things that are just as important to me in my life and I also 
in my spare time worship the Lord. No, no. And secondly, prayer in faith is very powerful. That's the promise of the New Testament quotation about Elijah being as human as we are. That means we can pray in faith. Lord Jesus, examine our hearts. Show us where we are serving something else other than you. Whatever it might be, one I've mentioned or one I haven't mentioned. And Lord, as, as, this, as we listen to this song, Lord, convict us by the Holy Spirit of anything we're serving. In Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.